0: Hi, welcome to episode 35 of Global Exchanges, a podcast about foreign exchange markets and related issues. I'm Greg Anderson. For this week's episode, my co-host Stephen Gallo and I will take a walk through the FX landscape as a result of the events in Ukraine. The point of our survey is to identify currency pairs that have either moved too much as a result of those events, or that have moved enough, given the shifts in related financial prices and underlying economic fundamentals. The title for this episode is All Crossed Up by the Invasion.
1: Hi, I'm Stephen Gallo, a London-based FX strategist. Welcome to Global Exchanges, presented by BMO Capital Markets.
0: Hi, I'm Greg Anderson, a New York-based FX strategist. I'm Stephen's co-host.
1: In each weekly podcast like today's, we discuss our perspectives on the global economy and the foreign exchange market. We also bring in guests from the FX industry and from related financial markets like commodities.
0: We strive to make this show as interactive as possible. So don't hesitate to reach out by going to bmocm.com slash global exchanges. Thanks for joining
2: us. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of bmo capital markets its affiliates or subsidiaries
1: okay so thanks for tuning into global exchanges and for the record we're recording this on the 8th of march 2022 and i think we can agree greg that the events in ukraine which you alluded to in the intro began in earnest on february 24th so for that reason we can measure changes in financial variables and asset prices as a result of the events in ukraine from the close on the 23rd does that sound good to you greg
0: yeah i think that makes a lot of sense Stephen.
1: okay so with that in mind and getting back to the main point of this podcast we want to identify exchange rates that have either moved too much as a result of the events in ukraine or too little and i think we're going to spend a lot of time discussing non-dollar cross rates on that note Euro Canada, EuroCAD is still of interest, I think, Greg. We had a call for a move lower in the pair in our annual outlook. Uh, We did two podcasts about the downside risks in EuroCAD last autumn, and we wrote about an extension in the cross below 140 last week, and the low thus far is about 137.60 in this pair. So, Greg, let's start off by you giving us a big picture idea of how much EuroCAD has moved in relation to the price of crude oil.
0: Using February 23rd as our anchor date, the EuroCAD cross closed at 144 to the figure on that date. It is now trading just a smidge below uh, 140 With rounding, the move in the pair since the invasion started is 2.9%. Now the contrast. Canada produces a heavy grade of crude known as Western Canada Select. It closed at $79 a barrel on February 23rd, and is trading at $112 in change right now. In percentage terms, WCS is up 35% versus just a 2.9% move lower in EuroCAD. Of course, it's important to keep in mind that oil is a whole lot more volatile than FX. So forgive me if we start to get just a little bit quantity here, uh, but but I think we have to in this case. I, I think the easiest way to scale the oil move and the EuroCAD move, so we can compare them, is to uh, first compare each to their respective daily standard deviation uh, of returns. So for WCS, the standard deviation of daily returns for the 260 trading day period ending February 28th, 2.86%. For uh, Canada, the exchange rate, standard deviation of returns, uh, 0.42%. Um, you know what do we do with that? Well, uh, here's here's the relevant comparison. I think, as a result of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, W C S crude has moved up 12 daily standard deviations, but Euro Canada, the exchange rate, has only moved seven daily standard deviations. So that's where I'm going to say that the oil move has been almost twice the size of the Euro Canada move. And um, I'm going to flag that pair as perhaps one that hasn't moved enough yet.
1: You know, that makes a lot of sense, Greg. And what I think we have to do, particularly in this environment, is not lose sight of the key fundamentals. We've seen a bit of a recovery in the euro across the board today, March 8th. And I've noticed that there seems to be this growing belief in the market that the entire energy supply shock, which could be coming to Europe and the world from Russian sanctions, is in the price of the euro right now, I don't think that's the case at all. I think what's largely in the price already is the view that key players in Europe, most notably Germany, won't enforce a ban on Russian oil and gas imports based on what leading German politicians are saying and based on the fact that the UK and the US are going ahead with their own oil import bans on Russia. But I'm not confident that the full extent of the potential supply disruption related to the events in Ukraine has been discounted. By the FX market yet. So that's the first key fundamental element worth noting in my view. The second key element is that although the fiscal response coming from the EU through jointly guaranteed debt that will lessen the economic impact of an energy supply shock, it's not going to allow the block to grow its way rapidly out of the shock. So over the medium term, I think the ECB is going to have a big economic growth headache Uh, and the euro an even bigger balance of payments headache to deal with than we had previously been expecting. And I think when you look at the facts as they currently stand, assuming there is not a major de-escalation between Russia and the West, this is the cold, hard reality of the situation. Of course, does not mean that other economies besides the euro area won't also have a growth headache at some point, but Europe's probably going to feel the brunt of it, I think.
0: In Canada's case, there's likely to be a bit of a demand destruction for everything other than energy, simply because energy will take up much more of the country's discretionary income. And the inflation shock will undoubtedly be worse and with less potential for the Bank of Canada to be able to mitigate the inflation shock because the financial environment is now likely to be deemed too fragile to risk upsetting with something like a 50 basis point rate hike or uh, the rapid onset of aggressive QT. So, Yeah, there are some negatives for Canada's economy, but they're not nearly as acute as for Europe's. And I'd point out that the money market has already responded to this by basically pulling out about one rate hike from this year's OAS curve relative to, to where it was at on February 23rd. Then, you know, it's worth noting that there are some positives from this for Canada. For example, When I was talking about uh, WCS earlier, it could be a very good substitute for Russian crude, which is similarly heavy, if only it could be brought to sea. The Democratic Party's sweep of the 2020 election seemingly killed the most economically sensible prospect of of getting that oil to sea because the Biden administration came in and almost immediately de-permitted the Keystone XL pipeline project. But if Europe needs a long-term solution for replacing heavy Russian oil, we may get a rethink of that pipeline or other proposed pipelines or rail link-ups, cetera. We're talking about stuff that could conceivably bring FDI into Canada, in addition to just the incremental dollars that get added to Canada's trade surplus as a result of the high price of oil that Canada sells to the US. And, and I'll just point out on that note that uh, this morning, Canada released a monthly trade surplus for January that was the biggest since uh, 2008. And of course, that was pre-invasion with oil in the 70s. Wait until we get March trade data released in May. So that's where I think the preponderance of fundamental shifts as a result of the invasion are almost borderline CAD positive, and they're certainly CAD positive if we're comparing it to the euro. So I I would tend to view this uh, little bounce in EuroCAD over the last day or so, up up to 140-ish, it's kind of a gift to FX traders, sell the thing, looking for mid-130s in a few months or maybe in a few weeks.
1: Okay, so that's Europe out of the way for the time being. Let's migrate eastward to the Asia-Pacific region. We're talking a lot, and we have been talking a lot, about commodity importing versus commodity exporting currencies, Greg. And when we consider the balance of risks for key commodity importing currencies, economies in Asia, we can exclude the Japanese yen. And to me, Greg, it seems a lot like the yen is caught in the crosshair, but just not moving. And in the same breath, we haven't seen much movement in the Aussie since February 23rd. And look at dollar yen, still on a 115 handle. So I've got to imagine that commodity prices are playing a role in dictating where these currency pairs are trading. But maybe the FX market still hasn't discounted certain fundamentals into the price by enough. What do you think, Greg? Greg?
0: Obviously, the APAC economies are a lot further away geographically from the Russia Ukraine conflict, but they aren't removed from the commodity price effects. Japan's number one import is oil, so the doubling of oil in prices this year is just undeniably bad for the yen. For Australia, its key exports are metals and energy. And in fact, Australian exports of things like coal and nickel are a great potential substitute for Russian supplies of those things. I I don't have my own Australian Export Commodity Price Index. I just use the central banks, uh, which is unfortunate um, that it's just published monthly. It will be fascinating to see how much higher it ends up for March. But for now, I would use Bloomberg's Base Metals Index as kind of a loose proxy. It is up 10 percent or roughly 8 percent daily standard deviations uh, over the invasion period. Um, so if I compare that to Aussie yen, which is up uh, 0.9%, or, or roughly two standard deviations of daily returns, um, you know we've got uh, a commodity price move that's four times the size of the exchange rate move. So I, I think this is another exchange rate that probably hasn't moved enough to reflect the shift in commodity prices and uh, underlying balance of payments and economic fundamentals. With today's pullback to the low 84s in Aussie yen, I, I think the pair is a screaming buy here. Uh, I think it'd easily go up to 87 or 88 over the next few months. And I think that's that's the size of move that would catch it up to the commodity price moves.
1: So, Greg, we've talked about two exchange rates that we think haven't moved enough relative to the shift in fundamentals. We haven't yet talked about ones that have moved too much.
0: Greg, do you have any ideas? Uh, Yeah, I've been searching for those, Stephen, and I haven't found much. I I guess I found one that maybe I could argue has moved a bit excessively. Uh, Just in trawling through intra-Europe crosses, I, I found one that, you know, it's admittedly kind Of an obscure cross for those based in the Americas and Asia, but pretty well known in Europe. Uh, it's uh, uh, Naki Stocky or uh, Nor- Norwegian Krone against uh, Swedish Krona. Uh, in, normally, this cross is pretty quiet and sort of flattish, but since the invasion, Naki has gained about 5% against the Swedish. And uh, just, just today, this uh, Naki Stocky cross printed a new seven year high. If if we're using the measure I was was talking about before, standard deviations of uh, daily returns, the move in Naki Stocky works out to about 11 of those, while in in Eurodollar, the move's only been nine. So, what do you think, Stephen? Is this move in Naki Stocky excessive, perhaps uh, a classic FX market overshoot?
1: Yeah, Naki stocky is an interesting one, Greg, but I think it's a little bit difficult to draw a firm conclusion. I mean, if energy prices have structurally reset to higher levels because of supply-side issues and in the long run uh, permanently reduced supply, then I think it makes sense that Noki stocky has broken its downtrend uh, from the last decade, which of course was a difficult one for energy prices, particularly oil. So I can say with a lot of confidence that there is a significant degree of overshoot in knocky stocky, but I do think you can make the case that the Swedish krona has underperformed the euro too much and that the near term is likely to see a bit of consolidation in the stocky and a moderate rebound in the stocky versus the euro. In terms of the difficulties facing the manufacturing sectors in Europe, Sweden to me doesn't stand out as being particularly different to Germany or the Euro. Um, And it's going to struggle, I think, to achieve merchandise trade surpluses for some time to come. But in terms of its dependency on energy imports, Sweden, you could argue, is actually in a moderately less vulnerable position uh, than the Euro and Germany. So there is probably some room for the stocky to close the gap with the Euro a bit.
0: As we wrap up this podcast, I just want to say I feel a bit empty for just dryly talking about FX markets, given the deadly seriousness of the situation in Ukraine. But the reality is, we've just been given this platform to point out risks and opportunities in the Forex market. Simply put, that is our job. and It is all we can do while we hope and pray for a rapid resolution to this conflict without further loss of life and livelihoods.
1: Of course, Greg, I would echo that entirely. I don't have a lot of conviction that a major de-escalation is upon us, but it would, of course, be the better of the two scenarios. Uh, Let's wrap up things here. Uh, Until next week and episode 36, bye for now.
0: Thanks for listening to Global Exchanges. Listen to past episodes and find transcripts at bmocm.com slash global exchanges.
1: We'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. You can send us an email or reach out to us on Bloomberg. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider.
0: This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show is produced and edited by Puddle Creative.
2: This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons legal.